0: This episode of The Mortician's Daughter is brought to you by the Raven's Wing Magical Company of Portland and Oakland, bringing you crystals, jewelry, herbs, and all your spellcrafting necessities. We feature local makers and offer the best witch shit on the West Coast. Hello again, my Grim Companions. It's been a month since our last meeting, and I've missed you all so dearly. Let's not waste any time with unneeded niceties before we get into the deadly details I've been gathering. The subjects I plan to speak about today have been called by many names. The Good Neighbors, the Hobmen, the Little People or People of Peace, the Honest Folk or Kindly Ones, Brownie or Pigwiggin or Puckle, the Will of the Wisp. In Ireland, they were the dwindled gods. In Scotland, they were split into the blessed ones of the Selly Court, or the Sula, or Evil Dead. And in Wales, they were called the Fair Family, or Teluth Teg. Yes, I'm talking about fairies, the Fae, the mischievous creatures of the British Isles that were carried to every known land, and perhaps even other dimensions, in story, if not body. In fact, fairies are considered part of native British spirituality, according to American theosophist E. Evan Wentz and Scottish folklorist Lewis Spence. The sometimes helpful, sometimes hindering creatures, most commonly referred to as fairies, require offerings of water or milk and sometimes bread. Leaving such appeasements in your kitchen can earn fairy favor, but failing to do so can bring on sudden discord and if you forget to leave water, those pesky fairies might decide to quench their thirst on blood sucked right from your big toe. Commit a more serious offense, and you might see all your livestock wiped out in one foul swoop, or much, much worse. Early death records in the land of fairy rings account for the loss of more than one villager due to the murderous fae. I'm just saying it wasn't all blood sucking from toes and milk stealing. People died here. So maybe it's not surprising that it was common for offerings to be freely made to the fairy folk of these regions. Ale, and yes, more milk, were poured out on trees, rocks, and springs thought to be sacred to Queen Mab and her crew of tiny magical creatures. Still, an offering left in one's kitchen overnight was considered a wise move so as not to incur the wrath of a brownie or hobman. And, bonus, If you earn their goodwill, they might utilize their wide range of supernatural powers to help you out. Tales attribute a range of enviable abilities to fairies, from healing powers to divination and power over animals and the ability to grant material prosperity. But as notoriously touchy creatures, fairies can easily shift from benign to malicious when angered. Maybe that's why good favor from the fairy folk is often seen as nothing less than a Faustian pact. The Treaty of Charms and Spells produced by Scottish Minister Robert Kirk for the Royal Society, in addition to the authoritative secret Commonwealth of Elves, Fawns, and Fairies of 1691, made sure to note the often rueful presence of fairies and their brethren. The same minister of Aberfoyle claims fairies were of an order somewhere between man and angel, akin perhaps to fallen angels. Now according to Carol G. Silver, All over England, Ireland, Scotland, and Wales, folklorists found people who believed that the fairies were the uncommitted angels or those trapped on earth during Lucifer's fall. Equally widespread was the view that fairies were the souls of the dead who were not good enough for salvation or evil enough for damnation. The semi-religious notion that fairies were the spirits of unbaptized children was also widespread and popular. Only slightly less prevalent was the idea that they were spirits of special categories of the dead, those awaiting reincarnation or those killed before their time, or those from long-dead pagan or extinct races, end quote. The Roman Catholic Church gave nod to the presence of fairies in their writings, and even Douglas Hyde, the first president of Ireland, once claimed he saw a strange horse run around a seven-acre field and change into a woman. So, while everyone seems to have differing opinions on what exactly fairies are, both church and state seem to agree that they are the real deal. But somewhere between the latter half of the 17th century and the 20th century, perhaps from that southern swelling of rationalism, some people started to claim the diminished presence of fairies, or at least the belief in fairies, in the British Isles. Even folks who still believed in fairy folk had to admit that they seemed to have a less active presence in the daily lives of common people than stories from previous generations would suggest. Some scholars claim it wasn't rationalism, but the rise of Catholicism, that pushed out folk belief systems. I'm guessing we're dealing with a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B. Bishop Robert Corby claims, in Fairy's Farewell of 1647, that the magic folk took flight in response to Puritans, being that all fairy folk are, of course, Roman Catholic. Now, this view was actually shared by King James of Scotland, who expressed in his 1597 demonology that the fairy was just one of the sorts of illusions that was rifest in the time of the papistry. I would like to point out that this time of the papists, or popers, as I affectionately like to call them, was a time when the fairies earned a bad rep as imps of the devil or minions sent to serve witches in their evil doings, like healing. And for this, I blame Catholics of the era. True story. And I quote, An Aberdeenshire cunning man, tried as a witch in 1598, claimed to have received his healing skills from the fairies. More specifically, one Queen Elfin promised the man he could know all things to help and cure all sorts of sickness. Sounds to me like he was just too good at his job and the local priest might have raised a red flag. Hopefully we can all agree that the catholics got a little carried away back then with killing people, especially for being good at things like holistic medicine or astronomy. Anyway, 19 years after the Aberdeenshire cunning man, we have the witch of Leicestershire, who confessed that the devil, her master, willed her to open her mouth and he would blow into her a fairy which should do her good, and that she opened her mouth and that presently, after his blowing, there came out of her mouth a spirit which stood upon the ground in the shape and form of a woman. I believe we are to believe that the fairy entered the witch, whose name was Joan, by the way, during this whole blow-in-the-mouth incident, and that in turn forced out her soul, the woman form she described. This belief in fairy folk as extension of witchcraft or the devil continues all the way to the Christian doctrine, printed in both English and Irish back in 1862, which condemned all who held knowledge or sought fairies, as well as anyone who paid attention to witchcraft, charms, or any words or signs that held no Christian virtue. Associating fairies with evil or the devil was a great way to encourage a disassociation amongst the good Christian people of England, Ireland, Scotland, and Wales, or at least the people who wanted to appear as good Christians in England, Ireland, Scotland, and Wales. Other folks claim that fairies were either chased out of or abandoned the Isles as their people moved towards modernity. According to folklorist John Aubrey, the divine art of printing and gunpowder have frighted away Robin Goodfellow and the fairies. Whether he was being literal or allegorical, who can say? I'm guessing John Aubrey definitely wouldn't tell you. But then there are some others. The ones who still believe that if you fail to leave out water at night, the fairies might steal your milk, or worse, your blood, right from your big toe. While the Gaelic Irish attributed to fairies most of the misfortunes that were otherwise blamed on witchcraft in other places, including the sudden wasting away and death of children. Despite that, fairy faith in Ireland has in fact endured into the present day and that might have something to do with its slightly more positive spin. British expatriate and personal hero Christopher Hitchens once compared interest in his home country to angel sightings in America. And mansion Megan of the Irish Times wrote of modern people maintaining an actual belief in fairies, quote, I would not have thought it until my bank manager, while discussing my property portfolio, a shack and some gnarly woodland, asked me whether there were fairies on the land. I laughed politely, but he insisted that back home in mail, their best section of bog was set aside for them. I told this to another bank employee, and she admitted that her aunt had been trapped in a field for a day by ferries until her grandmother broke the spell with a mirror. When the reporter contacted the financial institution for an official statement on their policy regarding ferries, the bank declined to comment. But the National Roads Authority, or NRA in Ireland, rerouted a bypass to save a white thorn bush believed to be sacred to the Fae back in 1999. Folklorist Eddie Lenahan campaigned to save the white thorn bush in question to the success of the tree, the fairy folk, and just maybe the whole of Ireland. Spokesman for the NRA, and once again in Ireland that stands for National Roads Authority, not that other NRA we're more familiar with here in the States. Anyway, Sean O'Neill, spokesperson for the National Roads Authority, said in regards to rerouting the road, quote, you don't mess with the fairies. The past couple of decades we've seen renewed interest in fairies, both in popular culture and in spiritual circles. This has been attributed to a host of reasons, from the growth of modern paganism, to even 90s goth culture and their interest in all things otherworldly or supernatural. And the unspoken agreement with fairies these days seems a bit less Faustian but some of the old-school holdouts remain strong in their claims that fairies are mischievous imps of the devil. Now, does that make you like them more or less, I wonder? But of course we wouldn't be talking about fairies today unless I had a real-life tale of unfortunate demise to share with you. Young Bridget Boland married Michael Cleary in August of 1887, the same month she met him in Clome. Michael held occupation as a cooper, that's a barrel maker. Well, Bridget was sent to be an apprentice to a dressmaker, but she soon returned to her parents' home in Ballyvadlia. Bridget Cleary proved quite an aspiring businesswoman. She started keeping her own chickens so she could sell eggs to the neighbors and saved up to procure her very own modern Singer sewing machine to help her grow her business as a dressmaker and a milliner. That's a hat maker. It seems, however, That when the Clearies landed the fanciest house in the village, they either overlooked or chose to overlook that the house was built upon a fairy ring fort. It seems as if in March of 1895, Bridget fell very ill. So very ill that her husband called for a doctor, and then a priest. And then herbs from a witch doctor named Dennis Ganey, which is where things get weird. And not just because there was a witch doctor named Dennis. Anyway, back to Bridget and Michael Cleary. Well, at this point, according to his story, Bridget's husband believes she is not his real wife, but a fairy changeling sent to fool him, while his true bride was stolen away. When Bridget's cousin, Joanna Burke, arrived on the scene, Bridget was being force-fed a mixture of milk and herbs by her husband and father. Fast forward one week, and police in Ballyvadlia find Bridget's grave. Quote, "...the 26-year-old's body had been wedged beneath several inches of clay and a jumble of thorn bushes, but her corpse showed wounds caused by something much worse than branches. Her spine and her lower limbs were so badly burned that parts of her skeleton were exposed. She was naked except for a stocking and one gold earring, and her head was encased in a sack. Bridget's husband, father, aunt, four cousins, and our witch doctor Dennis were all arrested and tried for murder. What came out was a story that moved between extreme domestic abuse and folklore. Despite the severity of the violence done to Bridget, the judge assigned a verdict of manslaughter to her husband and lesser charges against the rest, because he believed they all acted out of genuine belief. The story of poor Bridget Boland, the fairy changeling bride, is our strange and unusual death for this episode, so I'll take us out with a couple of fun fairy facts. First, When a person becomes low, careless, or depressed, as if their vital energy and strength had just been sucked out of them, they're said to have been hit with a fairy blast. And finally, let's talk about the word stroke, as in, Grandpa just had a stroke. The term is actually derived from a fairy phrase. For this, we're going to have to jump back to good old Pastor Kirk and the term elf shot. This term comes from the belief that fairies could shoot an invisible object into a creature, causing it to sicken. Shot, sicken, stricken, stroke. The more you know. Thanks for joining us for this episode of The Mortician's Daughter. Thank you to our audio team, Garrett Bowers and Mark Anderson of Yabia Music and Arts, and thank you to the Ravenswing Magical Company for sponsoring this episode. For all your otherworldly needs, Head to the Raven's Wing. Whether you're looking to honor your ancestors, curse your neighbors, or peer into the future, the good people of the Raven's Wing can help. Two locations in Oakland and Portland.